All right. Well, good morning again, everyone, and uh, good morning again, everyone online watching this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever wondered when you see someone uh, who seems to have accomplished a lot and wondered how they got to that position. Uh, you know, you wonder what the narrative of the story is. Um, sometimes it's pretty obvious. You know, you got there because, say, you got to the business because your dad owns the business, right? You know, if you've been watching those Tucson appliance ads, you can tell he's grooming his son. You know, the son is right there making the gesture. Okay, we know how he got there, right? But, you know, we don't all inherit businesses. Probably, you know, most of us don't. Uh, how do we get to where we get in life? Um, you know, hard work, determination, those kind of things. But there's a little secret to success. It's really not that big of a secret. We all kind of know it. Uh, and that is that so much of getting where we are in life has to do with being in the right place at the right time and meeting the right people and making the right connections and that those connections don't just automatically happen for a lot of us, right? You think of, as I was writing this, I got thinking about actors, you know, the aspiring actor who grows up in some, you know, small town in Indiana and I'm going to make it famous. And then they say, well, no matter how good you do it at community theater here, you're going to need to get out because there's no Hollywood movie producer scoping out our community theater. You need to go to L.A., right? So you go to L.A., and you're going to try, and so you start you know, knocking on the talent agency door, and you realize there's 10,000 other people just as good-looking, or if not more than me, all knocking on the doors of those same talent agencies. How do I possibly get seen? And so in the meanwhile, you go, and what do you do? You wait tables, right? That's kind of the cliche. Who staffs all the tables in New York and L.A.? Aspiring actors, right? And then you realize, here I am at the Applebee's in Encinas, and I'm like, I am not going to get seen by the talent agent here. So you go, okay, how am I going to get seen? I'll go wait tables at that club down there on whatever, whatever boulevard. I don't know my California geography that well. I'm going to go to that club right there where I hear all the actors and producers go, that's where I'm going to wait tables and bring drinks because I know that the people who make decisions are at that club and people have gotten gigs because they ran into people uh, in places. Morgan Freeman has this great story of how he was a heroin addict and ended up getting seen by someone and then came Pulp Fiction and Sideways Guns and the whole rat. we all know the rest of the story, right? And um, that wasn't, no, that wasn't Morgan Freeman, that's um, Samuel Jackson, yes, forgive me, forgive me, I have, uh, the, uh, so, um, so what do you do, what's the idea? The idea is you're getting yourself in the place, the right place at the right time to be seen, right? It's why around Chicago, I remember uh, all these kids from very affluent families, you know, it was hard to get them into church on Sunday because they were all caddying out at the country clubs. And why are you caddying at the country clubs? You know, you, you got an MBA at Northwestern. You can do lots of things. Well, who goes to the country clubs? The CEOs, the CFOs, the HR people of all the big firms. You want to get hired, Merit can take you there, but if you are personal friends of the CEO, that can get you there too, huh? So you caddy because you can't pay the the 70 grand or whatever entrance fee it was to get into that country club, but you can caddy there so you can get seen. You put yourself in the place where the opportunity is, 
right? It's a simple premise. It works in so much of life. It's what I would tell someone who came to me for dating advice, which never happens because no one ever comes to a 48-year-old Lutheran pastor for dating advice. But if they did, if they did, you know, I, you know, I would say the same thing. You need to get yourself in the right place at the right time. If, 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 what you're, if, what, if you're looking for a particular kind of person, find out where that kind of person is. And it may not be in the particular town you're living in. It may be, it may be not. But if you're in some small town, you already know all the people who are there. And if none of them are options, then you probably need to move. You know? And you, you, you need to get there, you know. But you don't, you shouldn't do what I see so much on TV is you'll see somebody going, you know, I'm just, I'm just praying that God will find me Mr. Right. You know, I've been hoping and praying. I'm like, okay, praying's good. Um, did you do anything? Did you go anywhere? Are you just sitting in your basement on Twitch, hoping that God's going to send you Mr. Right, you know? And uh, I, I would say, God is probably telling you, I'll be glad to send you Mr. Right, but why don't you leave your basement first? Because I don't think he's going to find you there. God's like, I'll find you in the basement. Mr. Right, it could be a little trickier. When I was in college, one of my friends, he was, a, uh, he was an RA, and in this particular dorm he was in, it wasn't like wings, they called them sections. And uh, so you got a picture of a building kind of shaped like an F, and each it was divided into these sections. And they, 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 they split by gender, male, female, male, female. And then they tried to set us up with a brother-sister section. So we would supposedly have all these social hours and stuff like that. That's never quite how it worked out. Um, but he, he remember, he was telling me the story because, and how he sat down like the first week during freshman orientation. And, there's, and they're all sitting there, and he got the two sections together. And they're all sitting around on their couches, kind of going around the room. Like, what are you doing? What are you here for? And, uh, you know, this one wanted to be a lawyer, and that one wanted to be a doctor, and, you know, that one wants to major in, you know, existential studies or something like that. And, and then they got to this one young woman, and she says, oh, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I, I don't really care about my degree. I just want to be a housewife and meet a husband with a college degree. And, and, and the whole room kind of went, huh? People still do that? That's the MRS degree? That's a thing? You know, in 1991, we thought we were so enlightened. That's still a thing, we were like. And, uh, you know, and I would have been like, I mean, okay. I mean, I'm not going to judge. I married my college girlfriend. So, but it wasn't like I went into college going, oh, I don't know if I want a job or not. I mean, I, I would have told the young woman, okay, that's not a bad goal. But, I mean, don't you at least want to get a degree while you're at it or pursue a career or expand your mind? I mean, you've got all these options here. I mean, what if, don't you at least want a backup plan? I mean, what if Mr. Wright gets hit by a train, you know? I know that's morbid, but you fall back, don't you at least have an MBA to fall back on, you know? Don't you have, don't, you, don't, yeah, you know, uh, I don't know. But he said, <laughs> my friend said, in one week she had a boyfriend from the other section. I don't, know how, I don't know if it worked out. I don't know how the story ended. But what I will say is, uh, she was following a strategy that wasn't bad, which was put yourself in the right place for the opportunity to be there, right? She knew what she wanted, and she was trying to make opportunity happen. 
She wasn't just sitting there going, you know, I'm going to sit here and pray and hope that Mr. Wright shows up. And, uh, you know, and then I'm going to go and put all, I, you know, put, my, put myself in God's hands, which is a good thing, but I think God still wants us to use our hands and feet too. Right? Because that's how it works, right? Uh, you know, God creates opportunities for us, but often it isn't like God says we shouldn't put ourselves into those places. You know, we, this is that great story we get in our gospel reading today. I love this story. I probably come back to it a lot, preach on it. It's, it's this woman who had the, it said, a hemorrhage. And it just says a mysterious hemorrhage. It doesn't go into detail about what it was, but that she had this for 12 years. And it wasn't getting better. And so she went to all these physicians. And I can only imagine what physicians did 2,000 years ago to, to cure things. Um, but it, the Bible kind of makes it sound like they were mostly quacks because she went to them, paid lots of money, and never, didn't get any better. And so what was she going to do? And so what, what, what did she finally do? She'd heard about Jesus. Jesus was coming through town. She'd heard about Jesus. She'd heard that Jesus can heal people. She'd heard that she had a shot. So she decided, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm, I'm going to get contact with this Jesus because I've heard that all you have to do is even just touch his cloak just touch the fabric, and, that, and, and you can be healed. And so, and so she decides this is what she's going to do. Now, here's where it gets a little interesting, though. According to the Old Testament purity laws, if you, if you were bleeding for any reason, you were supposed to stay home. And there was a whole bunch of extra rules uh, for women, too. But you were considered ritually unclean, and you had to stay home. Because if you touched someone, they became unclean. But you're this woman, you've got to figure, here's your problem. How do I get out to see the guy that's going to heal me of this until I get healed of this to go out to see the guy to heal me of this? Right? She'd have to be clean. Jesus would have to do a house call. But actually, that was forbidden, too, if you were really strict. The whole house was considered unclean. So he'd have to like yell through the window or something. And since that wasn't going to happen, she was in a double bind. There was no way to get healed and follow the law. So she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put myself in that situation and I'm going to make this happen. So she gets out of her house, goes there, plows through the crowd. And you can imagine she's pushing and shoving against this person and that person. The whole, the whole crowd's turning into one giant ritual uncleanliness thing. And she's violating the law left and right. And then she goes and touches a rabbi, and they're especially supposed to stay clean, and, and touches him. And what does it say happens? Power went out of Jesus and she was healed. She violated the law, but she put herself where opportunity was and she got healed. It worked. She put herself in the right place for God to work in her life. I know in the Lutheran church we're big on saying that, you know, it isn't what we do. It's what God does. You know, and, we, and we do believe you know, that we are not saved by earning it. We are saved by grace. We are saved by faith. We can't earn our salvation. It's not a ladder you climb. It's not, you know, there's no magical trick of X, Y, Z or incantation you can do you know, to make God do things for you. you know, we teach that we are saved by faith, but that doesn't mean that having faith means you do nothing and become passive. Instead, it means that because you have faith, you trust God and you act on it. It's a little bit like saying, I don't know if you've ever seen this bridge. 
in New Zealand. There's a bridge in New Zealand where they do bungee jumping. And uh, they bungee jump just, I don't know, like 15 stories or something insane like that. And, um, and you can see like the waterfall underneath and the rapids. And, you know, it would be like getting there on that bridge to go bungee jumping. And you, you get on and, and the bungee jumping instructor, you know, buckles you up and says, all right, I got this. You can go ahead and jump. And you say, well, I, I have faith in you that, that, the that you set up the equipment properly. I'm just not going to jump. And that's when the instructor says, if you have faith that I've done the equipment properly, why wouldn't you jump? Well, I believe you could. I'm just choosing not to. Now, it could be fair heights, but if you really have faith, you'll jump, right? Because faith is more than just what's in your head. It, it, it involves actually taking action. If you have faith, you act. It's not just a cerebral thing. That woman could have had all the faith in the world that Jesus was a healer, but it was because she acted on that faith, that it was because she acted on that faith that she went out and got healed. And it's interesting, it says that, yes, when she touched him, this power came out of her, and then Jesus turned around and looked at the disciples and was like, who touched me? Who touched me? And, the, you can, and the, it actually says the disciples were like, dude, you know how many people are here? How are we ever going to know who touched you? And what's interesting is the woman, knowing that she'd violated all those laws, and a normal rabbi would have chewed her out for what she did, for making them unclean, she turns around and says, I'm still going to fess up. That, 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 that took some faith, right? That took some faith that Jesus was not going to unload on her, was not going to punish her, and it says she actually comes up through the crowd, gets on her knees, trembling and shaking, scared what she's going to do to him. And what is Jesus' reaction when he sees that, when she fesses up? He says, your faith has made you well. Your faith. It was because of, your, of her faith that she put herself in the right place for God to act on her. Life is not an either-or of either just thinking or just doing. A lot, of, a lot of life is putting yourself in the right place. You know, you want to encounter God in prayer, then you have to pray. You have to probably clear some time off the schedule, you know? Spend a few moments in God's presence. Maybe it helps to read something to clear your mind so you stop thinking about the bills. You want God to find that right person in your life, then you need to put yourself in the right place for God to put you together. And I'm going to tell you, it's probably not on Tinder. You know? But this is the whole idea behind, you know, behind so much of what we do anyways. Behind, I would say this is the same idea behind how we do evangelism as a church. If you just sit in one spot and wait for the world to come to you, you might get some, you know. But if you really want to spread the gospel, you've got to be where the people who don't know God are, right? There was no great missionary who said, I'm going to go and reach out to the people over there by sitting home. That isn't how it worked, right? But they went there and God made amazing things happen, right? This is the challenge for, this is the challenge for churches today is, how do we get out there where the people of the world are? How do we get out where the hurting of the world is and where the need is and where people are struggling? And how do we put ourselves in the right time and the right place for God to make that healing happen? 
And when you step out of the door to go where God is, what we're doing is we're going out in faith. It's a step out in faith. You can't control what people will say or what they will do. You can't control the Holy Spirit and how it will work, but you can put yourself in a place where God can work because God does work and God does make things happen. Amen.